find my text this morning in the epistle of Paul to the Romans chapter 5 and that's the first verse. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, <clears throat> being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The epistle to the Romans is probably the most uh, profound theological treatise that the Apostle Paul ever penned. In no other epistle of his does he with such thoroughness and in such detail explain the whole scheme of redemption. In the first four chapters he is treating of justification. Now the term justification is one of the most important terms in Christian theology, in the Christian religion. And there are some of the modern versions that uh, do not use those precise theological, technical theological terms. And that is not at all to be commended. Those uh, terms are a precise, exact terms and in this matter, in matters such as these, precision and exactness are of the utmost importance. The Bible is verbally inspired and those precise terms were uh, the terms used by the Holy Spirit, breathed out by the Holy Spirit uh, through those men whom the Spirit used, those human instruments whom the Spirit used to uh, write the book of Scripture. Justification. Having dealt with justification in the first four chapters, Paul goes on now to tell the fruits of this justification, the benefits that flow from justification. We'll talk about justification in a little while, but we notice that one of the fruits, the first of those fruits that flow from justification, which he mentions here is peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, first of all this morning, we consider this peace with God. Paul says here, we have peace with God. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. A justified person has peace with God. He possesses it. He has it whether he is aware of having it or not. Whether or not he has entered into the conscious enjoyment of it, he possesses this peace. If you have been justified, then you have peace with God. You see, there are some Christians and they lack assurance. That is not at all an enviable position to be in. But if they have been truly justified through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they possess peace with God. How is it that we can say that a person can have peace with God and yet not be conscious of it? It is because the peace that 
the apostle is referring to here in this text is something that is objective. He is not talking of something that is primarily inward. He is not speaking of an inward feeling of peace. He is talking of something that is outward, something that is objective. He is not speaking of the peace of God. That is something very wonderful, that is something very glorious, an inward tranquility that the believer experiences as he commits all his concerns to the Lord. This marvelous peace that pervades his whole being. The Bible says it's like a river. It is abundant and ever-flowing, the peace of God. But that is not what the apostle is speaking about here. Peace with God has to do rather with the individual relationship with God. It is a matter concerning his outward relationship with God himself. And our relationship with God, the relationship that man in his sin and unbelief has with God, the relationship of man in his natural condition with God, is a relationship of enmity. There is this hostility, there is this state of war, as it were, between man and his sin and the holy gods in heaven. It is not just that there is this enmity on man's part toward God, that is certainly true. Man, in his natural condition, is opposed to God, the carnal-minded enmity against God. But God's relationship with man in his sin is that of wrath. Now it's not popular maybe today to say that. But that is the truth of God. That is the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the word of God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness in men. It could not be otherwise. God is holy. He is utterly holy. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He is the God of burning holiness. Our God is a consuming fire. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burning? The, there is them, you see. And this is why we say that there is in man's relationship with God the relationship between man and his sin and God and his holiness that is this enmity this alienation this a state of hostility but when a person when a sinner has been justified through faith in Christ when he has been justified his relationship with God is a relationship of peace he has peace with God. God is at peace with him. It's what is signified in our text here this morning. The relationship between the sinner and God, once that sinner has been justified, is no longer a relationship of alienation. It is that of reconciliation. That sinner is reconciled to God. God is a reconciled God. 
and his wrath has been turned away. God in his uh, goodness and in his love and in his kindness uh, looks with favor upon that sinner. His relationship with them is one of favor, one of friendship, one uh, of blessing. He blesses him with all spiritual blessings. That sinner who has been justified knows God. He has a personal knowledge of this God. He enjoys communion with the great God of heaven. He has been brought into God's family. He's a child in the family with all the privileges that that entails. God causes everything to work together for his good. God eh, supplies him with the strength needed and the grace needed for every demanding duty. God is at work within him, bringing about a moral renovation, sanctifying him, making that person holy within. God is preparing that one for glory. That person is a special object of God's favor, the object of God's special love, of his covenant love, of his loving kindness, of that love that he bears towards his own people. That sinner is at peace with God. Do you have peace with God? Or are you still in your sin? If you are still in your sin, then God's wrath rests upon you. You are the object of his wrath that's upon you now. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abided on him, we read at the end of John chapter 3. That means is already abiding on him. And that wrath, if you uh, end your days here in this world and that condition will be upon you forever and forever and forever. Oh, my friend, seek this reconciliation with God. Seek peace with God. God in his goodness and in his love has provided reconciliation with himself for sinful men and women. And as Christ's ambassador here this morning, in his stead, I beseech you, be reconciled to God. Be concerned about this matter today. Tomorrow may be too late. with God. But secondly, we notice here that we have this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This peace with God is in Christ. We have it in Christ and through Christ. And there is no other way by which any sinner can be reconciled to God and know peace with God but in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, there is no gospel. It is Christ that we preach. It is not a system of morality that we preach. That was a great mistake 
made by those people in the Scottish church last century, the moderates. You remember that in the national church there were two parties of preachers. There were the evangelicals and there were the moderates. Those moderates were people of noble ideals and their sermons were really sermons in which they commended morality, Christian morality to their congregation. But that is not the gospel. That was the great mistake of people like Thomas Arnold, who was a founder of that famous school, rugby school in England, the, perhaps one of the most famous of all the public schools that there are. He had this noble ideal that he would found this school and those boys there would be taught Christian morality, moral living, based upon the teachings of Christianity. But that is not the gospel. We preach not a system of morality as such. It flows from our teaching, of course. And we must be on our guard that we do not uh, so present the message of the scriptures as to give the impression that the Christian religion is simply a means whereby people can overcome the difficulties that they meet with in this life. That's the way it is sometimes presented. That's the teaching of the cults, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses and other cults. They see people with all those difficulties in life and they say here is the answer to your difficulties they present the truth in the way that a doctor might present a certain drug to help people overcome physical problems we thank god for those drugs that do help people with their physical problems but the truth of god the gospel is not something that is man-centered at all the gospel is god-centered we preach christ we glory in christ himself Jesus Christ is the mediator the mediator between God and man man is alienated from God because of his sin he needs to be reconciled to God he needs a mediator and Jesus Christ the Lord Jesus Christ is the mediator he needs he is the one uniquely qualified to be the mediator between God and man for he is himself God, very God of very God, eternally God. And he became incarnate. He took to himself our nature. He's man as well. He is the God-man, the only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord. He is supreme over all. He rules all. He's our owner. He's our maker. He has made us. Without him was not anything made that was made. He has an absolute right to our unquestioning uh, trust and obedience to our complete allegiance. He's Lord. He's Jehovah. He's God. And he's Jesus. Jesus is his human name. The same name as Joshua. He is one with us in our humanity. He is the elder brother of his people. And the name Jesus signifies also that he's a saviour. The word means saviour. The angel said to David before Jesus was born, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He's Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. 
He's God's anointed, the one whom God has anointed to be our prophet, our priest, and our king. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But we must put our text in its context. The very first words of the text sends us back to the preceding chapter. The word therefore, because of the teaching that is given, eh, this is true. The, the, there is that marvelous teaching that is given in those preceding chapters. What we have here in eh, our text this morning follows on from the teaching given in the preceding section and in the preceding chapters of this great epistle. The word therefore is one of the most important words in the Christian religion, in, in Christian theology. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do put this in its context, and when we do look back to the preceding section, we can come to no other conclusion than this that the people of God are justified and at peace with God on account of the work of Christ. It is due to the work of Christ that those who are justified have peace with God. Paul in those uh, preceding chapters talks a very great deal about the work of Christ. Indeed, he is constantly uh, speaking uh, about the work of Christ. He is teaching there about Christ's death, about his sacrifice, about the atonement that he has made, about his blood shedding. And uh, he is making it very clear that it is because of what Christ has done, dying for sinners of the cross, that uh, those who are justified have peace with God. Always this is where Paul places the emphasis. Always this is where we must place the emphasis too upon the atoning sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Eh, I am determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. We preach Christ crucified. Probably nowhere does Paul so succinctly and so precisely teach the and explain the meaning of Christ's death. Uh, probably nowhere does he teach it more precisely than in chapter 3, verse 25, where he talks of Jesus Christ, whom God does set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood or by his blood. God does set him forth to be a propitiation. And there you have it again, you see, another of those technical theological terms, the term propitiation. And so many want to do away with that term and uh, explain this in other ways. But we must not do that. We must hold on to this term propitiation, for it is a term that is so precise so exact, it uh, explains so exactly just what it is that the Apostle here is teaching. It is the word that the Holy Spirit is used, that he has breathed out through the Apostle here. 
the word in the original, hilasterion, is precisely uh, rendered in our version here by the term propitiation. There is this enmity between God in his holiness and man in his sin. The wrath of God is upon man in his sin. And unless and until that wrath has been turned away from man, he cannot know and have and possess peace with God. Propitiation is the turning away of that wrath. It is the appeasing of wrath. It is the uh, diverting of wrath. Christ by his sacrifice has turned away the wrath of God from his people. Christ crucified is a propitiation, a wrath-removing sacrifice. Christ Jesus came and he stood in the sinner's place. He became the sinner's substitute. He took upon himself our sins. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And in bearing the sins of his people, he bore the punishment of them. He bore the wrath of God against them. That is the explanation of his dreadful suffering. None of us can know and comprehend the uh, torment of soul that our blessed Lord endured there at the cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he endured such dreadful torment because he was bearing the wrath of God against the sins of his people. He was suffering his people's hell there as he died upon that cross. And so by his sacrifice he has propitiated God, turned away God's wrath from his people. And remember this, always remember this, it is God himself who sent his son to be that wrath-removing sacrifice, to be that propitiation. It is not that the son, the loving son, has done something by his sacrifice that has persuaded God to love his people. That is a terrible misrepresentation of the truth. It is a dreadful error. God, eh, in his love, sent his son to be the wrath-removing sacrifice. The Father and the Son are at one in this, in their love for sin and in their hatred of sin. God set him forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood. The Apostle John tells us that he is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And a little later in that same epistle, he says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We have the people of God, those who are justified, have peace with God. They have it through the Lord Jesus Christ and because of, on account of, his work, his atoning sacrifice 
as a propitiation for sin. And thirdly, we notice that those who have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ are those who are justified by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the past tense that is used here. Having been justified by faith is what the Apostle is really saying. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This peace with God, it is the accompaniment. It is the consequence. It is the result. It uh, is the fruit of justification, of being justified. Paul uses the term justification and the term justified a very great deal. He uses a very great deal in this epistle and indeed in all his writings. What does it mean? What is justification? What does it mean to be justified? It does not mean to be made righteous, to be made righteous within, to be made virtuous. It is not something that is inward. It is not something that is dealing with the inward condition of the heart. It is not that at all. Justification is outward. It has to do with our outward status, our outward standing, our relationship with God. Although sanctification, being made holy in character, being made holy within, always follows on from justification, it is distinct from it. Justification has to do with our outward standing. If then it is not being made holy within, what really is it? Justification is declaring the sinner righteous. It is, you see, our declaratory action. It has to do with outward status, with outward standing. It is God declaring a sinner to be righteous, declaring him to be innocent, declaring him to be guiltless, to be righteous, to be acquitted. It is a granting to him, giving to him the verdict of acquittal. words which we have in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and the, of the first verse there will perhaps help us to understand this. There we read that it was part of the Mosaic law that if men had a dispute and they brought it to the law court then the judges were to uh, declare a verdict and they were the chapter 25 of Deuteronomy says they were to justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. There you see justification and condemnation are set in antithesis the one to the other. To condemn the guilty, to condemn the wicked is not to make that person guilty, it is simply to declare him guilty. And similarly, to justify the righteous is not to make that person righteous, it is to declare him righteous. It is to acquit him. You see, it is a legal term. 
It is a forensic term. It comes from the law court. It is God declaring the sinner righteous in his standing before him. And how does this come about? How can it be that a sinner guilty in his sin can be declared righteous? Is that not in itself an unrighteous act declaring him righteous? Is it that he earns this justification by turning over a new leaf? by reforming himself and beginning to do good works? No, it is not. Not at all. By the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in God's sight. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You will never, never, never justify yourself before God by any efforts of your own. Justification is of grace. It is all of grace. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, says chapter 3 and verse 24. God in his goodness, in his goodwill, in his love, in his undeserved favor, justified, declared righteous, those whom he justifies in unearned mercy in sheer grace sheer goodness he declares them to be righteous in his sight a sinner is justified by grace justification is an act of God the judge declaring him to be righteous in his standing before God. But is it just? Is it righteous that a guilty sinner should be declared to be righteous? Is that just? All that God does is just. And this is a just act on his part. For what God does is he constitutes that sinner whom he justifies. He constitutes that sinner righteous by imputing righteousness to him. The imputation of righteousness. He imputes to him the perfect righteousness of Christ. Christ came into this world. And on behalf of those people, he lived for 33 years here in this world, a life of total obedience to God's law, a life of perfect righteousness. And God takes that righteousness and he imputes it to the sinner whom he justifies. He gives it to him, gives it as a gift. He reckons it to be his. He imputes Christ's righteousness to him and so declares him to be what he is in a standing before him, therefore, a righteous person, righteous with the righteousness of Christ. If you are a Christian here this morning, a Christian in the true sense of that term, then in your standing, in your status before God, you are perfectly righteous. You are clothed with the flawless righteousness of Christ himself. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so you see, 
the justified person can never perish. He possesses that righteousness which God requires and can never be condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Do you have this righteousness, my friend? If you do not have it, then you are under condemnation. God's wrath is still upon you. You do not have peace with God. And without this condemnation, you shall perish eternally. At the judgment, you will be condemned, condemned to an everlasting hell. Oh, my friend, seek, seek the imputed righteousness of Christ. How is this righteousness received? Well, we are told here, being justified by faith. Faith is the instrument by which the sinner receives this righteousness, the righteousness of Christ that is a gift of God. In chapter 1, we are told that therein, that is in the gospel, Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's from faith to faith. It's all of faith, from beginning to end of faith. No man ever worked harder to obtain righteousness than did the German monk, Martin Luther. And it was all to no avail. He could find no peace with God that way. It was that God blessed to his soul eventually. That text I quoted to you a moment ago, Romans 1 and 17, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, the just shall live by faith. He realized that he could obtain this righteousness not by any efforts of his own, but through faith alone. And it is no exaggeration to say that that discovery by Martin Luther changed the course of European history. Justification through faith alone. Christ is the object of our faith. It is in Christ this salvation is. Faith is trusting in him. It is looking entirely and only to him. It is resting upon him alone for salvation. It is relying upon him. It is abandoning sin and unbelief. It is the abandoning of every other ground of confidence. And relying only and utterly, leaning entirely upon Jesus Christ. Justified through faith alone. And I'm here this morning, my friend, to tell you that God calls you to Christ, to faith in his Son. Come to him. Come to him in simple, childlike trust, and you will be justified. You will possess peace with God. God's wrath will be will have been turned away from you, and you will possess peace 
with God. God will declare you righteous in your standing, in your standing, in your status before him. You will have peace with God. You will be an heir of heaven. Oh, what is it? What is it that holds you back? The way of salvation is before you. Walk in it.